Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast. A podcast hosted by two childhood best friends dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer, a midwife, a current day pop culture know-nothing, but nobody puts baby in a corner when it comes to the pop culture of my youth. And I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's still not over how my so-called life left us hanging. So there are a few things from our joint childhood that Lori and I absolutely adored that many of you may never have heard of. Welcome to one of those episodes. (laughs) Today, we're totally freaking out over 1982's endearing and oddly unsettling made-for-TV movie, The Electric Grandmother, starring Maureen Stapleton and Edward Herman. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying the pod, we'd like to remind you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Speaking of which, we'd like to give a big, huge shout out to Daft Punk 27, Blue Stitch 123, I'm the Real Melissa, Western Broncos, and Z Swire for your super kind Apple podcast reviews. They mean more than you could ever know. And Lori, we have to thank Germany, Italy, and France. Yes, the entire countries for listening. Y'all make us feel so much more international than we actually are. So true. And without further ado, let's talk robot grannies, Kate. Let's. The electric grandmother. So excited for this. (laughs) It's either something that you most definitely have heard of, because I promise you, if you've seen this movie, no matter how old you were, you remember it. But if you haven't seen this movie, this is still going to be a really funny episode because this movie is a heartwarming, thoroughly disturbing fever dream. And as a five-year-old, I loved and feared it in a way that I honestly still have yet to fully process. And I'm not even exaggerating. Elements of the story are truly, they're touching and beautiful, yet certain more, I'm going to say, imaginative scenes. They're forever etched in my mind and not in a good way. Yeah. Interestingly, all of my memories of this film are warm and cozy and fuzzy. Really? I have a memory of it being like quirky, but I have no memory of it being creepy or like scary or unsettling. And I'm not sure why, (laughs) because when I went back to watch it, I was like... I'm so surprised to hear you say that because I had this movie recorded off of TV and I suspect the reason I had it is because this film is based on Ray Bradbury's 1969 short story, I Sing the Body Electric. And if that title sounds familiar to you, it's because it was taken from a Walt Whitman poem of the same name. Also, the short story is based on a Twilight Zone that Bradbury wrote of the same title in 1962. And if you want to check it out, it's season three, episode 35. Now, my dad is a huge Ray Bradbury fan. He is an even huger, perhaps, is huger a word if it is? It is now. Twilight Zone fan. Of course, Ray Bradbury. He is a science and fantasy fiction writer best known for Fahrenheit. 451, which we totally read in high school. We totally did. And The Martian Chronicles. So did not read that in high school. (laughs) I actually never read it. Sorry, dad. But being a huge Bradbury fan and Twilight Zone fan, I can see why my dad would have recorded this and wanted to share Bradbury with me from a really young age. 
Also, you guys should know that Lori's dad had like all the tech. They had all the tech in their house for 1982. We did not have an electric grandmother. That was probably the one thing we didn't have, but we had all the rest. We literally had the very first cordless phone. I believe it was called a Cobra. Oh, I didn't even realize that. They they did. They had like all the gadgets. We did. And everything. I feel like you were the first people that I ever talked to who, who had like actually like seen the internet in action. <laughs> <laughs> and for the time, for the early 80s, we totally had a smart house. Oh, yeah. Do you remember your mom also had a smart car? Do you remember her mom got this new car? And we were like, oh, this car's so cool. And we we're going to get out of the car. And Lori's like, this car does everything except talk. And all of a sudden the car goes, the door is ajar. The door is ajar. <laughs> I forgot about that. You know, she had a car with, what are those called? Electric seat belts. This was really. <gasps> oh, where they like came they wrapped along, around you. Like yeah. for a while, that was like some big safety thing. Because, you know, we weren't all very practiced. Right. Because we just got to like roll around the back of the car. <laughs> <laughs> Sit in the bed of a truck. It's fine. <laughs> But this film was one that I had on VHS, and I remember watching it a lot, and I remember watching it with you. And so I don't know what I was doing last week. I just got this flash memory. I Googled it. It's available in full, in very poor picture quality, (laughs) on YouTube. It's 50 minutes long. I immediately texted you, the electric grandmother. And you were like, I have not thought of that movie. It had completely escaped my psyche from like the time like I was seven years, years old. Yeah. Until like, age 44 when Lori said the name again. So crazy. <laughs> okay. So this was put out, I think it was called Project Peacock through NBC. It premiered on January 17th, 1982. And in the NBC ad, it says, quote, They wanted a grandmother. So they built one! Exclamation point. It's futuristic fun when a father and his three young children search for the perfect grandmother. Exclamation mark. Okay. That really doesn't do justice to the story. (laughs) You guys, this movie's so freaky. It's so weird. We'll link to this in the show notes. You can watch it on YouTube. Like I said, it's available on many channels. But I watched YouTube user Pepper J's And he wrote in the description, quote, one of the greatest movies ever, for whatever reason, my grade school would play this goddamn movie every year from kindergarten to fifth grade. Enjoy this trippy ass movie. Helps if you're drunk. (laughs) It is so trippy. I... Where did it come from? How did it get put into the the brain of Ray Bradbury? (laughs) And in case you don't believe us because you've never seen this film... I Googled the electric grandmother and some blog posts popped up. (laughs) And my favorite was one by Scarecrow Video titled Nightmare Nostalgia, (laughs) the electric grandmother. He breaks down the story much like we're going to. He says, quote, the things I'm about to tell you are now going to sound like they were made up while I was on PCP and haven't slept for nine days. Truth. <laughs> but they are all things that truly, sincerely happen in this movie. Deep breaths. Okay, here we go. And then he also described it as a black pit of howling despair. So it, it was a time. It was a time, it was a place, it was a mood. And I just loved this movie as a kid. Like I and I'm like, are kids different 
than grownups. Like, are we just able to not be creeped out by like something that is so clearly creepy? I was very creeped out by this movie. So the fact that you weren't. No, I just loved it. It's almost as if I was watching it through a filter that made it like not what it is. I remember it being kind of weird. I was like, did she get dropped from the sky? She does. Who texted me that? And I said, she indeed does. And like the weirdest sort of Mary Poppins arrival ever. Right. Mary Poppins in the future. And the past. It's very confusing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the ancient past. The very ancient past. <laughs> Let's get into it. I don't want to waste a moment. This no. movie so effing weird. Yes. Okay, so this was creepy. And this actually wasn't creepy to me as a kid, this part. (laughs) There were lots of (laughs) creepy things. But when we open the old man and his voiceover. Right. Okay, so he says, I'm going to do an old man voice. Excuse me. I had a lot of coffee today. I I feel. Please do. It adds to to the. Okay, here I go. You ready? Okay. Grandma, sometimes I hear you still clicking, humming near me in the dark. Grandma, our dear, wondrous electric dream, I remember the hour and day of your birth, that terrible week our mother died, that week the world ended. Their mom died. Okay, we set the scene. This is a story about a family. The oldest son is Thomas. Who is he played by? Robert. Is it Robert McNaughton? The older brother in E.T. Right. There's middle son, Timothy, and the youngest child, Agatha. And the father is played by Edward Herman. Of the Gilmore Girls. (laughs) You love Edward Herman. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So Edward Herman, he plays Lorelai's dad in the Gilmore Girls. Yeah. And he was also in St. Elsewhere. And he was in The Lost Boys. Oh, he was in The Lost Boys. That's right. Yeah. And Overboard and Annie, our beloved Annie. Wait, the old Annie or the reboot? The old Annie. Who was he? I don't know. (laughs) He was in it. Wait, this is going to bug me. Who was he? Google it. He was FDR. That makes perfect sense. Okay. Okay. And this is when Aunt Clara arrives to save the day. She says to them, we can't all mope all the time. Just look at these gloomy faces. And she's like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to fix everything and I'm going to take control. We know people don't know how to handle grief and uncomfortable situations, but like, did you have anything like that happen to you after your mom passed that someone just kind of came in and wanted to take control? Maybe not in that way, but I did have a couple of, I think, well-intentioned people sort of question the way I was conducting myself in the week after my mom died. In the week after your mom died. Yeah. And and when I say conducting, like I wasn't doing anything wild and crazy, I promise. Like if you've not gone through something that life altering to lose a parent, I think it's just, it just like throws the whole family into a tailspin, even if it's expected. And everyone just kind of does their best in the early days And of course, there's also then a lot of extended family around and friends. And there were a couple of adults who I didn't know particularly well. So really similar to the situation, right? Like this isn't their warm, fuzzy auntie uh, that's visiting. You get the picture. She's not a regular fixture in their life. Right. And so there were some people who kind of made comments. And I just remember thinking like, what? Yeah. 
Another thing about Aunt Clara is that she seems a little old to be the dad's sister. So I'm like, is she the great aunt? And then I was like, why are aunties always like dowdy and like annoying like that? Like, I'm a cool aunt. (laughs) Aunts have come a long way, baby. Actually, you have a cool aunt, though. You have the coolest aunt. Cool aunts run in my family. And so... So it does, it hurts me a little bit that uh, they always portray them as like really unpleasant people. <laughs> She's awful. So on this morning, there's a helicopter circling over their house. And they're very rural. This is not like they're in a city. It's yes. not like it's LA where you have helicopters going over your head all the time. <laughs> true. <laughs> and it's loud and the family's like, what's going on? They go outside to see. And the helicopter says Fantocini Limited on it. And it drops three rainbow parachuted items from it. And they're like pieces of metal. And the kids run to retrieve them. And what the fuck? Their names are engraved on each piece. Right. And the dad's like, no, no, that's not true. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dad. It is true. Okay. So this is like any reasonable father would be like, don't touch those. (laughs) What is this? And in fairness to dad Henry, he can't go Google Fantocini Limited. Like, right. He has no way of knowing. Right. But I would be suspicious of touching it or handling it. Like, is this a bomb? Like, what is it? Right. What's going on? Although, to be fair, also, like, in 1982, technology wasn't that sophisticated yet. So if something was a bomb, you're more than likely going to know it was a bomb. <laughs> okay. It wasn't ticking, but right. it was still weird. And it so... Thomas is like, wait, I have a hunch. Let's put these three pieces together. Right. He figures out that they fit together. Yes. And they do fit together in the shape of a heart. And this metal heart lights up and the creepiest, echoiest, echoiest, <laughs> robotiest voice of all time says, Hello, we are waiting for you at Fantogini. And then it says, we are machines that remember. What? We are electric grandmothers. The electric grandmother is built to give love to all who need her. Give it a try. And then it gives an address. It's so creepy. That voice is really scary. I don't know if it's echoey or it's multiple people talking. It's so creepy. I was like, how was I not horrified by this as a child? (laughs) And I was appropriately horrified by this as a child. (laughs) Instead of being freaked out and like maybe calling the authorities, I don't know. They're like, let's go to that address. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) And you know, Agatha, I don't know that they say how old she is. But she's saying, hey, guys, nothing's ever going to be like having mom back. And really, she's right. And we're not listening to Agatha. Well, I think that the two boys feel that way. And the dad's kind of like, well, I don't know, but let's go. (laughs) Which is really inappropriate, actually. Do you know what else is funny about my memory of this film? (laughs) I didn't think the dad was part of it. I thought that like this was like some great adventure that these kids went on. Oh, the three kids went on. That actually is much more reasonable. Like the fact that a professional man and father took his kids here is probably the weirdest part. 
Right. So somehow I like blocked out the fact that there was an adult involved and it makes more sense, right? If it's like kids on this caper. That's the hallmark of like 70s and 80s films, right? right? Kids go off on an adventure. Your parents are never home anyway. They're not wondering where you are. Like go do the thing. You're Gen X. There's (laughs) nobody home. Do what you want. Do what you will. It'll be fine. In my memory, that's how the story went that like the mom died and the dad was really busy. So they were sort of like left to their own devices. And then that's why the grandma came, which honestly, I think is a better storyline. Mr. Bradbury, maybe have a word. (laughs) It makes a lot more sense, actually. (laughs) So now the man who's responsible for the health and safety of these three children. Takes them down to a warehouse district. (laughs) That is freaky as hell. And it's so dark. Well, when they come to the door, it's like down an alley. And he has to like dust off the number so that he can see that he's in the right place. And then the door is just unlocked. Now he does have a little pause, like the boys run in and he's like, oh, it's creepier even before that. Because Thomas reads the sign, Fantochini, and then a robot voice, that echoey, scary robot voice says, grandmothers, and the door slides open. I think that's after they're inside. I think when they first go inside, they just try the door and it opens. And then they're kind of in this weird like foyer. I would get the hell out of there. It's super creepy. Henry doesn't look like he could fight off whatever peril. He looks like he could like (laughs) reason with somebody until they died, (laughs) but not that he could take them on. Maybe provide them with a home loan, some life insurance. stock advice. (laughs) And like, once again... Agatha's scared, and she's the only one who's scared. The voice of reason, the little girl, is the voice of reason. And then the door closes behind them. You're trapped now. You're mine. Right. <laughs> like, to me, I'm like, what if it's all a trick? They're luring you down here to, like, do something horrible to you in this deserted warehouse, right? Yes. That's where my mind goes. Yes. So, but not when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was like, that looks fun. <laughs> <laughs> and when I was a kid, I was like... I want my mom. Right. The worst part of it is the music. It's like this cacophonous, crazy music sound. Is that in that part? I think it is. I don't know. I didn't make a note. It's awful. It reminds me of walking past the band room in high school. Oh, God. Do you remember when we'd be like, nightmare music, nightmare music? Because like everybody was like warming up and practicing their own parts. So they're not playing all together. It's just like all these musical instruments playing. Oh. And that's exactly what it was. Like that makes that whole scene like so much harder to take because there's just this it's crazy chaos. music. Yeah. So they're looking around like it's dark in here. There's weird shit everywhere. And there's this guy sitting at a desk, like a crazy inventor, wearing a, like a child predator mustache. (laughs) His name is Guido Fantaccini, and he is played by Paul Benedict. And Paul Benedict was in The Jeffersons. Oh, yeah. I feel like he's in a lot of stuff. Okay, but you know what else he's in, Katie? He is the asshole finance professor in Cocktail. Oh, my gosh. It's come full circle, friends. We did a cocktail episode, you guys, 1988's Cocktail with Tom Cruise. This is the asshole professor that we talk about. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff. He has weird teeth. Oh, does he? I didn't catch that. They're very, like, big and, like, I don't know. Like, Like, they take up a lot of space in his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he knows the kids' names. Right. Once again. How? Why? I mean, who? 
And I know that this was a more innocent time. No, I take it back. This is when kids' faces were on the back of milk cartons. Yeah. So a stranger knows your three kids' names. How? Why? We all have questions. Why doesn't Henry have questions? He has very few questions, actually. Right. Yeah. So Fantacini says, I believe you're looking for something in a grandma. And Timothy's like, I want a grandma that sings songs and tells bedtime stories. And once again, Agatha is skeptical. Right. I keep writing Dr. Fantagini. Is he a doctor or did I just like bestow an honorary doctorate on him? Is that in my notes? (laughs) I don't know. The weird inventor man. Yeah. He says, the only limit to what a machine can do is the limit of one's own imagination. Henry finally asks a question. What kind of business are you running? (laughs) Not, how do you know my kids' names? How do you know my address? Why, yeah, why do you have a helicopter? (laughs) How do you get your money? Like, no, what kind of business are you running? And Fantacini says, my business is fulfilling dreams. All grandmothers are made to order and sent to select families on a 30-day trial basis. You've got nothing to lose. Except maybe your life. I don't know. Right. Like, I feel like anytime somebody like really says that in this setting, you're like, "Mm, but do I? (laughs) Are we just smarter now? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe people were just very innocent back in the early 80s. It's not like danger didn't befall anyone in the 80s, actually. Right. Well, and like, I'm sorry, if this happened in my childhood, we would have never touched the parachute things because my mom would have been like, they're laced with LSD. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the police would have been called out. The movie would end right there. <laughs> my dad would have taken apart the metal pieces that fell from the sky to figure out how, how it worked. was designed. He would have reversed yeah. engineered it. And when we got to the factory, he would have been asking some serious questions. Right. So Fantacini takes the family into his factory where... They get to customize their grandma, Katie. And this, Katie, is where we see those floating ghost-like silhouettes that just come and go. And they're just in the shape of like the human form. And you have to choose them quick because then they just go away and they're gone forever. Yeah, it's weird. And the visual is actually really frightening. And they get to choose the grandmother's hair. And Agatha says she wants a grandmother with long hair. This is important later. Yes. And they get to choose her eyes. from Which this, like, show up in this weird kaleidoscope eye. Like prism thing. Thing. It's terrifying. It's so scary. Yeah. I have a very strong memory of that moment. The body yeah. silhouettes and the eyes. I have a strong memory of it too. But again, my memory was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> For her voice, they all speak into like a horn. So her voice would be the combination of all of theirs. And then all of a sudden they hear what her voice is going to sound like. And literally it says this, hello. But like in a weird echoey multiple voice thing. Hello, 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 my darling. And then they're like excited. Like that's not creepy. And they ask, when do we get her? And her voice says, Ask me no questions. I'll tell you no lies. But one of these mornings, you'll get a surprise. So long. So creepy. So scary. But they're excited. They can't wait. 
Yeah. I mean, they've got nothing to lose, right, Katie? Sure. One of these mornings arrives. And again, the Fantachini helicopter circles overhead and drops a sarcophagus. A sarc- I did not remember that it was a sarcophagus. In my mind, it was like a wooden box. That would have been so much less scary. It would have. <laughs> Let's explain what a sarcophagus is to anyone who might not know. It's basically like those coffins that like... King Tut was buried in. Yes. So it's shaped essentially like it has the figure on top of like kind of an Egyptian pharaoh. It's full body sized and it's giving off a humming sound. Right. Like this thing is clearly like alive in some capacity, right? Right. They open it and there's a body inside wearing an Egyptian gold death mask. Right. They remove the mask. Everyone's excited. This is a, this right. is it's Christmas and morning. Like, this is the part where you're like, okay, they are on PCP and they have not slept for nine days. Like that gentleman said. They remove her mask, and inside is our beloved Maureen Stapleton looking all the perfect grandma form. Right. Hair in a bun, wearing like an apron. She opens her eyes, poop. <gasps> And she's like, you're all wearing pajamas. You'll catch the death of cold. Get inside. They help her out of the sarcophagus. Do-do-do. It's the most normal thing in the world. (laughs) Grandma goes inside and she quickly whips up a wholesome breakfast of French toast, pancakes, and eggs. Granny's made your breakfast. Sit down, kids. Sit down, family. And then she asks one of the kids, would you like some hot cocoa? Okay. I will forever remember this moment. And she shoots hot cocoa out of her finger into a glass. I had forgotten about completely. I can't even believe you forgot about it because everyone in the comments is saying that hot cocoa or chocolate milk from the finger was the thing everyone remembered the most. I Well, when it came back on, I was like, oh my gosh. I remember like playing at that and being like, how could that happen? Like, how could I make that happen? In fairness for 1982, a very special, special effect. It was, it was pretty cool. Because then she goes on to do also milk and orange juice. Yes. But honestly, as a kid, I was just like, wow, that's really cool. As an adult, I was like, <laughs> But wouldn't the milk be warm? Well, I think I think this was <laughs> probably she has a cooler inside her also, but I guess I just kept calling it grandma juice throughout yeah. my notes, which is disgusting because why would they willingly ingest something? They don't know this robot more than 20 minutes. The length of time it takes to make breakfast and it's like, yeah, sure I'll drink that. I just was like, in all actuality, that's really gross. Because, like, think about how that tube would get all clogged up and icky. Maybe it has a self-cleaning mechanism that we didn't see. Like, Is it pasteurized? Is there a spoil date? Where does she right. get her ingredients? Where does it come from? How does she replenish her supply? So many questions. As a kid, I was just like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> so we move through some amount of time. I don't know. I don't think this was the same day. But, like, Agatha's really sad. She's mourning her mom. We see her brushing her hair while she looks at pictures of her mother. And grandma says, oh, Agatha, you have beautiful hair. And then she complains about her own hair. And she's like, I have the ugliest hair. And she pulls it out of the bun. And this obviously hurts Agatha's feelings because Agatha chose her hair. She's like, yeah, but... And then she kind of catches herself. Right. And it's a weird moment because if this grandmother knows everything about them... 
I feel like she has kind of an antagonistic relationship with Agatha. <laughs> She's a little passive aggressive, Grandma. Right? Like, I'm like, why? And like, why would you say that? Like, and I get it. Yeah, it's she's like, like it's so point. ugly. It's so awful about her hair. And then she says to Agatha, I'd love to brush and braid your hair. No, she asks Agatha to brush her hair. Oh, yes. And Agatha does. And then she's like, your hair is so pretty. I Oh, I'm sorry. Because Agatha starts to brush her hair and says, your hair is really pretty. I really like it or something like that. And she says, oh, no, not my hair. Your hair is beautiful. I'd love to brush it and braid it. And Agatha freaks the F out. (laughs) And she yells, no, only my mother can do that. So Agatha is going to be a hard sell. Yes. We see the boys outside and they're trying to fly a kite and they're failing. So grandma goes out there and she shoots kite string from her fingers. Like, again, she can dispense beverages and shoot kite and, and string. Like Spider-Man. I don't know. And <laughs> she decides because she's so like Fun. mystical and, and whimsical and Mary Poppins like, she's like, the laundry can be washed by the clouds and dried by the wind. And they're all like, wow, Grandma's amazing. And Agatha's like, uh, no. We learn that Grandma is very smart, Kate. She doesn't just help with the children. She actually knows some shit. And she knows Darwin and Plato and perhaps most creepy and wondrous of all. She stores up knowledge of everything the kids say and do for their whole lives. And one of the boys asks her, oh, yeah, like, what did I say at this time of day, at like 3 o'clock today? And she mysteriously produces a baked muffin from her body, gives it to him. He opens it like a fortune cookie. There's a paper inside that has the words printed on it of what he said at that time of day. It would have just been too simple to just say, (laughs) this is what you said. Have a fresh baked muffin from my body. It's a fortune muffin. So the kids are just amazed by this woman. Like she, this woman, this robot, this cyborg, right? whatever she is. And it's bedtime. And Timothy asks her to sing him a song. And I would say this is a very beautiful moment because the song is actually quite touching. But what is not quite touching is the fact that he's laying in bed Grandma's sitting beside him, singing this lovely song, and she puts her hand in the shape of, like, a bear claw, and her hand is somehow a music box in that moment. Right, her hand is like a speaker. It's like primitive Bluetooth. (laughs) Grandma's hands are magical. (laughs) Timothy says, I love you, and she says it back and tells him, I'll be here forever whenever you need me. Now, <laughs> knowing what we know, I'm going to ask a very important question. Okay. Is this a threat or a promise? <laughs> so I have a lot of thoughts about this that I feel like I have to save till the end to discuss. Okay. So Agatha overhears this and calls grandma a liar because Agatha's like, who are you crazy robot imposter in my home? Well, and Agatha also knows that people who should be there sometimes aren't. People who promise to be there sometimes go away. This is true. So she's not falling for that twice. And I got to say, Agatha, I'm right there with you. I feel you on that one. So this is when grandma goes downstairs to the basement to plug herself in to recharge. 
by itself wouldn't be that creepy, but. <laughs> okay, so it's really dark down there. There's a rocking chair down there. And this is the stuff of childhood nightmares right here. She plugs herself in and makes these weird body motions. She does like weird robot calisthenics. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. All the while, her face is like stone cold, emotionless, stoic. Her face. Yeah, it's blank. Dead face. And then she sits in the rocking chair and rocks back and forth with her dead eyes. Yeah, it's creepy. And Agatha goes down to the basement and says to her charging grandma, you can get them to love you, but I never will. You're just a machine. And Agatha unplugs her. Agatha does not suffer any fools. This is when a recording of Agatha's voice plays back to her. And grandma simply, stoically, plugs herself back in. Goes back to grandma sleep. It was really scary. I do remember that scene, and I do remember being creeped out by that. Yeah. Under the best of circumstances, even if we buy into, like, the whimsical, wonderful nature of this cyborg granny, like, the best intentions, and she's just there to love, it's executed in such a disturbing way. I feel like they could have removed that frightening element of it. Right. If she had just plugged herself in. And sat down, closed her eyes, and, like, maybe rocked. And then Agatha had come and unplugged her and had her little say. And then grandma had just plugged herself back in. But like the weird robot calisthenics, the like echoing her voice back to her. That was like sort of a passive aggressive grandma move, no? I'm telling you that grandma has like some tension with Agatha. Okay, we're going to get to that real soon. In the morning, it's clear the family is doing so much better with grandma around. The dad is more at ease. He's happier. The boys are much happier. And they're all thriving. And the dad does say, he says to grandma, I wish Agatha would come around. What she says is kind of a cool line. She says she's afraid. That makes her angry. It's up to me to discover to discover the source of her fear. And I was like, whoa, that's actually like a true statement of humankind. Like when people are angry, it's almost always because they're afraid of something. Mm-hmm. And dealing with the anger is rarely the answer. Dealing with the underlying fear is the answer. So there's this little nugget of like, <laughs> like a truth bomb in this creepy ass movie. <laughs> well, I think the problem that I have with the grandma is that she's supposedly sent there to fulfill a need, but it comes off as sort of like a classic stepmother narrative. Like I'm going to come in and I'm going to fill the void and I'm going to get all the children to like me. Grandma has reason because we learn grandma has only has 30 days for everyone to be happy and satisfied with her. Right. Because there's a guarantee. There's a guarantee. What do they got to lose? Right. Well, she's convinced everyone except for Agatha. So as we're approaching the 30th day, grandma basically calls a family meeting and says, I got to go back to Fantacini Limited because I failed to make everyone in this house happy. So now everyone hates Agatha. (laughs) Agatha, you little bitch. Everyone hates Agatha because grandma's the greatest. Why don't you love her? Now she's got to go back to the scrap heap. Look what you did. You little jerk. (laughs) As they're walking grandma back to the sarcophagus to send her back, I guess it's just sat in the front yard for 30 days. Perfectly normal. Timothy says to her, 
you said you'd be here forever. Like once again, Timothy's going to lose an important female figure in his life. And this is when Agatha says, she's a liar, just like m-. And she starts to say mom and she gets upset and she cries and she runs away. And the family chases after her, grandma in front. Agatha's about to get hit by a car. Grandma pushes Agatha away and gets hit by a car. And that was actually really disturbing to me as a kid too. They show her get hit by the car. (laughs) She like rolls down the road. (laughs) And Agatha is hysterical, crying, no, no, please, not like mommy, not like mommy. I think she said it 20 times in a row. Right, in case you weren't sure... (laughs) how she was feeling about this whole situation in case you hadn't made the connection. <laughs> We're going to tell you 20 times. <laughs> projecting her fears about losing her mother onto electric grandmother. It's now been made very, very clear. So now we can move on to the next act. Grandma wakes up. I can't die. <laughs> She's like the Terminator. <laughs> and this is why I ask you, is it a threat or a promise? On YouTube, most of the comments are like overwhelmingly positive. You would be surprised. And people are mostly talking about like, oh, this reminds me of my childhood. And this makes me miss my grandparent. And Xander TM commented, I did not expect people here to be all, quote, I cried so much. I mean, she shot chocolate milk out of her (laughs) finger and claimed she was an unkillable god. (laughs) Grandma can't die, which is terrifying. This is the little known origin of Terminator and where it started. <laughs> I mean, this is 82 and I think, <laughs> didn't Terminator come out in 84? Right. <laughs> so Agatha says, then you're not like mommy. You'll always be here. And grandma says, I can't be killed. Um, <laughs> I'll always, I'll always be here with you. Yay. I mean, for Agatha, yes, right? She's been traumatized. She's lost someone important to her. She's afraid to love again. And so now she has this totally unreasonable reassurance. (laughs) So that in her life going forward, (laughs) when she decides to love people, she'll be like, they're always going to be here. Oh, no. No, they won't. Yeah. And so then we like cut to the future where we see the kids leaving the nest one by one. And they're all saying goodbye to grandma. And Henry thanks grandma. Shakes her hand. Gives her a sturdy handshake. (laughs) She doesn't even earn a hug. This is where my terrible adult mind goes. I did not think this as a child. But I was like, come on. All those years. He lost his wife. Did he hook up with electric grandma? (laughs) So inappropriate. I'm just saying. And just to be clear, there's no indication of that. Like, he really literally does give her, like, a sturdy handshake. Yeah, it's all very professional, actually. Right. And this is when Grandma says, well, back to the factory. So much to talk about. So much to share. Of course, I'll be there whenever they need me. And Grandma goes back to Fantachini Limited. Then we hear that same old man from the beginning, that voiceover. We didn't need Grandma for many years. And this is when we cut to a circle of grandmas in a knitting circle, sitting in rocking chairs with that weird rainbow colored lighting. Right. They're like in this warehouse factory place, just like hanging out in like the grandma knitting room. Yeah. And that lighting was odd. Yeah, it is. Especially because the warehouse is so dark and then it's like glowing from within. Grandma says to one of the other robot grannies, 
sometimes I almost feel that I can feel. And this is when that old man walks in and says, Grandma, it's Thomas. So now this is Thomas as an old man. He tells Grandma, Agatha became a doctor. Tim built a permanent base on the moon. Right. And, <laughs> and Thomas is an author. And he asks her to come home to their old house. And this is when he says, husbands, wives, families, we've outlived them all. You'll come then? What? Didn't they have children or grandchildren? They outlived them all. The three children outlived everyone. Apparently, they have had very tragic lives. <laughs> and now what? All three children live in their childhood home as old people together, and grandma's going to come care for them? Why did everyone else die? I know. Why are they alone? This part of the movie, like, it reminds me of a couple of things. It reminds me of that book, I'll Love You Forever, I'll Like You For Always, whatever, where like the mother like creeps in the window yes. when mm -hmm. the kid's all grown up, right? Yeah. Like it kind of has that element of like inappropriate adult interaction with grown adults, uh, except in this case, it's extreme because they're like so old. They're old now, you guys. They're in their like- They're like older than grandma now. Yes, they are older than grandma. Grandma is in better shape than them. They are like yeah. in the very sunset of their lives. Why is there this theme in movies and also, like, in this I'll Love You Forever book, of an adult literally living for the children, as if that's their whole point and purpose, as if they don't exist outside of their relationship well, with the children. Well, she doesn't. She okay. was designed to but do this job. This is theme like this I feel like the I love you the giving tree it's like oh you're entitled to anything that you want from this being because they're here for you and that's their whole purpose in life and I'm like what are we teaching children when we teach them this this is a bad lesson like I think you're supposed to sorry I'm going on a little bit of a rant but <laughs> I think that you're supposed to be like oh it's so sweet and she really was always there for them and like isn't that wonderful but like is it is that a good thing to teach? I don't think so. Is it a good thing to teach that a robot can replace? Well, that's a whole other rabbit hole to go down, <laughs> especially in this. It kind of reminded time. me of her, that Joaquin Phoenix yeah, I film. Seen that, but... Oh, it's very good. Yeah. And, and certainly in this current time where some people replace in-person interactions, even though maybe they're interacting with a person on the other end of a computer screen or the other end of a chat window, it's very virtual. It's not the same as interacting with people. Well, this film suggests otherwise. Now the siblings are all old and they're gathered together just loving grandma and grandma plays recordings of their voices from when they were children. And it's all, they all hug and it's all very loving. Like grandma knows all of our history. Grandma has loved us our whole lives. And my question is, what happens to grandma after the siblings die? She goes back to the factory. But then is she okay. only ever their grandma? Like, does she get recycled to be to somebody order. else's grandma? Oh, They yeah, chose so. her body. They chose her eyes. They chose her hair. Her voice is a culmination of theirs. And what happened to Fantacini? Does he live forever? Who's right. paying for this? Did he just this? pass it down into the family? Do his robotic grandchildren right. now run so the factory? So many questions. So many questions. One more time. I'm going to circle back to that blog post by Scarecrow Video. They end their blog post by saying, 
This is not a parable about death or family. It's more like a propaganda film made by benevolent robot overlords to convince us that all would be better if we just spurn our mortality and let the machines lovingly take control. I'm telling you, it's the beginnings of the Terminator. (laughs) Because this goes way beyond Rosie the Robot. Oh my goodness, this is like next level. It's funny because the general consensus, at least with the YouTube comments, are people saying like, yeah, I was kind of freaked out by the milk in the finger and granny in the attic, but more so, this is such a beautiful film. This made me cry. Thank you so much for sharing it on the interwebs. This was a big part of my childhood. And this actually won the Peabody Award in 1982. It also was nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Program in the same year. You know that Mr. Rogers was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So weird. What's interesting, too, is Maureen Stapleton, the one that plays the electric grandmother, she won an Oscar that same year for Best Supporting Actress in Reds, and she had been nominated three other times. So she's a big deal. She was a big draw in this film. This film had... It was like legit. Good actors in it. And I do kind of understand those people who were like, oh, I mean, it did not make me cry. Let me be clear about that. But Oh, no, me neither. I was a little bit traumatized, a little post-traumatic stress happening. Like you said, it would have been a much more convincing, I'm sorry to use the word convincing, (laughs) because this movie is all kinds of effed up, but it would have been much more convincing, if you will, if the children had gone to the factory without their dad, picked out a grandma, had grandma arrive and had to convince dad, dad, this is a good idea. Grandma's here to help and love. If the kids are doing their own thing then it makes a little more sense. Like try to imagine a grown up accompanying the Goonies on their adventure. Like no grown up would do or, that. Or the, or the boys in, you know, stand by me. Let's go find a dead body, kids. Come on, pack some snacks. Yeah. Let's go. Like it, it makes no sense. So you need that element. Nope. Gilmore Girls dad was just right there for all the fun. <laughs> And I don't even really want to talk a lot of crap on Ray Bradbury. Man was amazing, lived an amazing life. What an incredible talent and legacy he leaves behind. Well, and to be fair, like it's based on his story. So what is the story like? I don't know because I didn't read it. He wrote the teleplay. So he did. Okay. Well, sorry, Ray. I tried to help you. So this idea of robots and what the future looked like. This was a theme that was kind of prevalent in pop culture at large. Like when you think about Small Wonder with Vicky the Robot right. and even um, what was that show? Out of This World with the girl who had the father who was like an alien and she could freeze time. Do you remember that? Oh. Yeah. Really? And of course it was like Mork and Mindy. And of course he right. was an alien and too. We all thought that we were going to get robots and all we got was Roombas. <laughs> Like, it's kind of disappointing. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a crazy, wild adventure of a revisit. I loved watching it again. I was so excited to talk about it with you today. We were. We were really giddy all week. Like, we were like, oh, my gosh, don't talk about it until we get to the podcast. (laughs) Save it for the pod. (laughs) I really do encourage you to watch it. If you've never seen it, 
It's worth your time. It's 50 minutes. It's available for free. We'll link it in the show notes. I would love to know what the experience is like if you have no history with this and you're watching it for the first time. I would so love to know what that perspective is because I think it must seem even weirder. It's wild. But also oddly enjoyable. So there you go. I mean, that just sort of sums up nostalgia right there. Well, thanks so much for joining us. If you can't wait to hear more, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And just a friendly reminder, we're on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.